Hello there. Today we're going to look at CSAM detection, the technical summary of Apple system in order to detect uh, child abuse material of users before they upload it to iCloud. So I recently reported on this in ML News and this story, of course, uh, not my story, but the, the general story has sparked a lot of controversy around the world with respect to privacy of users and, and Apple essentially coming to users' phones to, to scan the phones for illegal content and so on. So now we have the technical summary where Apple details exactly what's happening and how they're trying to both preserve user privacy, but at the same time, um, essentially catch people who create and share these types of materials. Now, needless to say, I, I think everyone's on board with reducing the spread of these materials. The question is what kind of trade-offs we're willing to accept in order to make that happen. And the trade-off here uh, is mainly privacy of people. Even though the system is designed to mitigate it, there are still weak points that where the system can be attacked, the system can be used for purposes that it was not intended. Um, there are other problems. On top of that, at least in my estimation, the system can be evaded fairly easily. So, you know, you combine the system can be evaded fairly easily with uh, we're going to implement the system that potentially has pretty, you know, really nefarious consequences if someone gets control of it that is not uh, a, a good actor. I don't think, you know, we'll have to think about the trade-offs of doing these types of things. And yeah, that's just that. So we'll go through the report, we'll go through how the system works, how Apple describes it, and we'll go through its strengths and weak points. And you can make up your own minds about that, even though I'm going to, of course, try to bias you <laughs> in a certain way. So keep that in mind. All right, so we we get here a Essentially, we, it's it's a sort of a, a white a technical white paper giving us a, a description first an overview and then a description of these various techniques. So there's going to be like a neural part uh, with it, which is sort of the, the machine learning interface uh, to this whole system. Um, since we're dealing with with images, uh, that's you know the the front end essentially. Then we're going to deal with a whole bunch of cryptography slash security um, stuff, which tries to preserve uh, user privacy as much as possible, while still allowing Apple to detect who shares this material. Okay, so here are the requirements of the system as far as Apple sees it. So first of all, um, the, the detection, so this is CSAM, it stands for uh, child sexual abuse material. And the system specifically is designed to catch, uh, identify and report iCloud users who store known material in their iCloud photos accounts. Okay. So it's very limited in scope. In fact, Apple does not scan your entire phone all the time for anything that you might have. Um, it scans the things that you're about to upload to iCloud. And as we're going to in fact, see it, it just computes as you upload to iCloud, it computes the security voucher and uploads that along with the material. 
and it only is supposed to detect known material. So there is a database. The database is provided by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And that database, as far as I can tell, Apple doesn't even have necessarily access to that database itself. Uh, but for sure, they only so they they're not going to train a detector uh, to you know classify abusive material per se like uh, so they're not going to catch new material until that new material is entered into this database so this is essentially saying we have a list we have a big list the database of things that we collected from you know confiscated phones or whatnot uh, collected from these websites and we are simply going to check if in your iCloud account, there is any of those things, right? Any if any of those matches, then you have one of these known things, then we're going to report you. Now, the, the challenge is, of course, to preserve user privacy. So here are the requirements that they set themselves to they set upon themselves. Apple does not learn anything about images that do not match the known CSAM database. Now, this is hard, right? Apple can't just go to your iCloud account and, uh, and, and scan all the images. Otherwise, Apple would know what the other images are. And so as I understand it, uh, things in your iCloud are encrypted anyway. So Apple can't do that, right? So it can't just, you know, compare images, because <laughs> otherwise, either you'd have to send the abusive images to the user's phone, which kind of defeats the purpose and then compare on the phone, or you have to send all the user's photos in clear text to the server. And then Apple would essentially see all the user's photos, which is also not okay. So we're going to have to get a bit creative here. Second, Apple cannot access metadata or visual derivatives for matched images until a threshold of matches is exceeded for an iCloud photos account. So it gets even more complicated, right? If you have apparent, like if you have one image, they're not going to, they don't want to, they don't want to report you yet. They are going to set a threshold, let's say five images. Like if you have five matches in the database, then, you know, it's very probable that you're engaged in actively uh, sharing or consuming this material. And therefore, we're going to report you. You know, like if, if it's below that, probably their lawyers, their lawyers can't make a good enough case. Um, and so they're going to say, if it's below a threshold, we don't want to be able to decrypt this, right? We only want to be able to decrypt all of the things once a threshold is exceeded. So this is yet an additional constraint that we have to somehow work with. We have to design an algorithm that allows us, we cannot decrypt anything until we have enough threshold exceedances, uh, you know, excesses, well, what's the word? I don't know. Okay, let's go through the other requirements more quickly a bit. The risk of the system incorrectly flagging an account is extremely low. In addition, Apple manually reviews all reports made to the, to the, um, to the institute, to the government to ensure, ensure reporting accuracy. Now, this is, a good goal, right? Um, however, I think we've all encountered websites that told us that some decision was manually reviewed, but it's pretty, it was pretty clear that it wasn't right. Uh, so this is this is a goal, we know that as soon as there's like pressure, 
as soon as there is you know something more important going on as soon as the system is overwhelmed they are just going to swap out humans for for robots um i don't know how much pressure there needs to be for these humans to be swapped out but still at least initially they're going to review all of the reports they make then users cannot access or view the database like this yeah this should be fairly obvious and users can't identify which images were flagged as being in the database by the system so you can't design an algorithm that only you know transmits data to apple once a match is found because then the user would could inspect the network on their device and they could figure out which of the uh which of the images is problematic and apparently notify their whatever their friends or something so you don't want that you want the users essentially to upload all their stuff they never there's always a bit of data that goes with it uh, if there's a match they don't initially know about it and i guess until the police knocks at their door so these are the requirements okay so this is a is an overview what we have is we have this database we have the database of this material what we're going to do with this database is we're going to compute some hashes um, from it so these are a hash now a hash essentially is simply a a representation of a piece of data that is shorter but still uniquely identifies the data so if i have a hash function h and i in, input image a i get out hash a uh, if i input image b i should get out a different hash b and if i input image a again i should again get uh, back back a okay this is a, a classic hash there hash functions are designed to if you if you input the same thing you want to get the same thing out if you input a different thing you want to get a different thing out and ideally the thing on the right side the hashes they're much 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 shorter so much less data than the original data this works because um i mean theoretically it shouldn't work right but it works because most most images that are possible in the data space aren't actually images so um the the amount of images that can exist as natural images is way lower um than you know the the pixel grid would allow so there is a lot of compression potential so the hash function is supposed to um output the same thing if you input the same thing output the different thing if you input a different thing that's a classic hash function we use hash functions when we want to check like the integrity of files um, so in a classic hash function if you change even one bit uh, the hash is going to change as well that's how you see someone tempered with some some file or something like this um, here we're going to use a little bit of a different kind of hashing we also use these functions but we also use this neural hash which is going to be more fuzzy and geared towards the fact that we deal with natural data with natural images in any case what we're going to do is we're going to hash these um these images and we're going to do a step that's called blinding we'll look at that and we put them on the client device so the client device has the database but in a hashed format so looking at the hash will actually not tell you anything about the original image so this is the requirement the user does not see the images that are in the database okay like that would be terrible um in fact okay like the regular user doesn't see anything but 
even if you inspect your device, you couldn't find that data because it's hashed. Now, on the client device, we take the image of the user, we, we compare it to the database. Now we can do that since the hash function output the same thing if you input the same thing, right? If we run the image through the same hash function, um, if we run the image through the same hash function, we can simply compare with the database and see if there is something in the database that matches this images hash. And then we know aha, that image is in the database, it's a match. And then we can upload that to the cloud. However, that would violate another one of our requirements, namely the user could learn uh, which of the of, it, of their images match the database. So we'll have to, as I said, we'll have to get a bit creative. So what we do is we don't check for a match on the device. What we do is we produce this so-called safety voucher. The safety voucher is essentially comparing the image to the database, but it leaves out like one step in the process. And that step can only be done by the server. So so it's, it's like a, a comparison, but you leave out the last step, it's actually not possible for the client device to do the last step of the comparison that would actually evaluate if something fits. And that's going to be done on the server. This technique is called private set intersection matching. And on the server, you do the matching, if there is a match, um, you, you know, you flash a red light, except there's the additional constraint that you need have this threshold requirement. So you want that you can only decrypt the things of the user if a threshold is exceeded. And that is yet another technique called, I think, threshold secret sharing or something like this. So we're going to look at these components one by one. First, the neural hash. Now I told you about hash functions. Um, and I'm going to repeat that the, the, the issue about a hash function is if you input the same thing, it should output the same hash, it should output the same um, you know, number. So here you can see an image on the top and the neural hash at the bottom. So this is the hash. So when we input the same image, we want the system to output exactly this number, not a similar number, exactly this number. Now look at the image in the middle. Would you say this is the same image or a different image? Now in the context of detecting abuse material, this is the same image, like it displays the same thing. Uh, we want our system to be robust to these transformations, because otherwise these people they could just change the image a little bit. And then the hash changes, right, they could make it a little bit brighter or darker, they could just re encode it, they could resize it a little bit, and they would evade the detection. Um, and that's what makes it difficult. What we can do is we can train neural networks to uh, handle these kinds of things, we already have the techniques. So the two images you see here on the left, they should output the same neural hash. And the image here on the right, which is a different image, it should output a different um, neural hash. So what we're going to do is we're going to design a neural network in, the, in their case, it's a convolutional neural network it says it right here, a convnet, you input the image into you know, a bunch of layers. And then at the end, you get out a vector. Okay, so you train this neural network, and you can do this via contrastive learning, this is essentially self supervised contrastive learning, um, such that if you input this image, and 
this image, their vectors are going to be fairly close together. And then if you input this image right here, its vector is going to be, uh, you know, a lot different. So the vectors of images which are close in uh, up to some transformations should be very, very close. This is standard self supervised learning, you teach the network to be robust to these kinds of transformations, you enforce that um, the vectors that the neural network outputs are close by each other, when you input these distorted images, and the network should also learn that images that are not distortions of each other, uh, it should go far away. So we can do this, but you'll notice here the requirement is not fulfilled. Namely, they don't, the neural network doesn't output the exact same vector, it outputs only, we can only train it to output vectors that are really close by each other, if it's a similar image, and really far apart, if it's a different one. So how do we get this discreteness in here, and that comes through locality sensitive hashing. So locality sensitive hashing, is essentially a method in from from kind of the big data world uh, to um, do approximate nearest neighbor search. And there is uh, various techniques for doing this, I'm going to present you one of them, which I, from what I read, this is what they do, it might do something slightly different. But essentially, what you do is you define random hyperplanes. Um, so one hyperplane might be this. And you know, in our case, it's just going to be a, a line a 2d hyperplane. Sorry, a, a 1d hyperplane in a 2d space. Uh, one might be this, and one might be this. Okay, so those are your your three lines, let's number them. This is number one. This is number two, this is number three. And let's also label the sides of each. So this is the positive and the negative, the positive and the negative, the positive and the negative side of that. So now what what can you do is you can check for each vector on which side of each of the three hyperplanes they are. So this vector right here, it would be on the positive side of plane one, it would be on the positive side of plane two and on the positive side of plane three. So what this vector would actually be, you can even visually see they're in the same uh, corner in the same slice of the space. Whereas this vector right here, it would actually be on the positive side of plane one and on the negative side of plane two on the negative side of plane three. So here you can see it, it doesn't work for all vectors, right? Two vectors could be really close together, yet a plane could just cut through them. In that case, you would not find uh, those two. But if you know, if you choose the number of planes correctly, their distribution correctly, then with very high likelihood, um, if you have two images that are very similar, and the neural network, in fact, outputs vectors that are close together for them, they will end up in the same bucket. So this here is going to be the discrete neural hash of that image. Now, they then stick that since this might still be a fairly high dimensional representation, depending on the hyperplanes, they stick that into a, a classic hash function. So uh, in order to reduce the number of bytes, and also in order um, to make it less possible to in fact, uh, reconstruct an image from the hash because from these hashes, it's still actually possible to reconstruct the image depending on the dimensionality, right. 
um, they feed that through more hash functions in order to, der to derive the neural hash. And there you see it. Um, the neural hash for these two images, if we have trained the neural network correctly, uh, should be the same in really like the same, the same discrete bytes, whereas the neural hash for this image will be different. So that's how you detect and, and depending on how you train the network, you can catch uh, most of these distortions, the network will also generalize. So even if some person comes up with like some transformation that you haven't specifically thought of, if you've done a good job at training, there's a good chance that you'll catch that transformation as well. So um, this is how we derive the neural hashes. Now, from the neural hash, so our first approach could be, you know, we take our big database of, of illegal material, right? So this is an here's an image, here's an image, there, there's images, we run all of them through this exact same neural hash procedure, and we get a neural hash out of it. And then for a user, we take their image, um, we also run it through neural hash, right, that gives us some vector, and then we simply compare to the neural hashes of the database, which we have with us. This would work, okay. Um, but as we said, this violates some of our requirements. Therefore, what do we do? So it's a bit more complicated. The server, the Apple has this database, or presumably they at least have these hashes, these ones of the database, right? What they're going to do is they hash them, they hash each of them one more time with let's call that H prime. So they hash each of them one more time with a hashing function um, that only they know, right? So they have the hashing function, it can also take like a private key. So there is a private key. And they call this the blinding step. Okay, so there's a hashing function that only Apple knows. Now, if your image, if the user image goes here, uh, they it, it gets like some sort of by the way, these lines, uh, they are short for like they're short for a vector of zeros and ones, right? Uh, so if I draw a line, it's like that's a it's a hash of an image. Um, now, if I have a hash of a user image, what I have to do is I have to send it to the server, because only the server has h prime, right, as this hashing function, and then the server can compare the two things. Right. So now this um, so now this is this is this is better. This fulfills our requirements better. Uh, in order to also have the other requirements uh, included, here is what we actually do. So what the server does is it derives the neural hash for each image in the database. And then it does this blinding step. Okay, so you receive a blinded hash uh, from each image that the server knows that and then you order the things you order the hashes according to the neural hash. So how you how can you do that? Um, you simply look at the neural hashes of each images and you put them in order, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, you, you just sort them. So the order of the images is going to be according to the neural hash. So if I know the neural hash of an image, I can determine what row in the database it is stored at. 
However, the row is of course a much shorter number than the neural hash itself. So I can't reconstruct the neural hash if I just from the row number. <laughs> um, but I can, if I have a neural hash, I can know what row in the database the um, blinded hash for that image is stored. Okay, so for the server, this essentially is double information. Okay, that like this information comes from the image and this information also comes from the image. However, for the, the client, what the client now does is you get or the client, the, the device, you get the image, you compute the neural hash of the image. Now with the neural hash, you, you do multiple things. Um, so what you want to do is essentially you want to send the neural, neural hash uh, to the server along with the payload. Okay? And the payload, just imagine it contains the real image. You put the real image into the payload, you upload that to the server, right? So the server can actually compare. But this would violate a bunch of our things. So what do you do? You take the neural hash, you look up the row, you remember from the neural hash, you can look up which row it, the blinded hash is stored at. Now, we have two cases. If the user image is an actual illegal image, right, then this blinded hash will be the actual blinded hash of this neural hash. So if I were to run this through H prime on the server, I would actually get the blinded hash. Um, however, is the, if the user image is not illegal material, you know, it will still have a neural hash, like you can compute that for any image, and it will still determine a row to look up because, you know, you'll get a row, you'll just probably get some random row. It's a, it's a function that's only designed for the hashes that are in the database. So if you go to it with a hash that's not in the database, it'll just give you some row. Specifically, if you apply H prime to the neural hash, it will not output the same blinded hash. How can you now abuse this fact um, such that the server cannot learn anything about your image if your image is in fact not illegal? Well, what you do is you look up, you look up the row using the neural hash um, and you use whatever is here in that row as a private key, as an encryption key to encrypt the payload. And uh, so you send, you send the neural hash to the server and you send the encrypted payload to the server. Remember the payload, let's say the payload contains the actual clear text image. So we only want the server to be able to look at the image if in fact it's an illegal image. Again, let's play our two, is there a diagram what happens on the server? No. Let's play our two scenarios here. So the server gets this cryptographic header derived from the neural hash. The first thing it will do is it will run the neural hash through H prime. The server can do that, right? It will obtain, it will obtain the blinded hash for that, for that particular neural hash. Now, again, if in fact, uh, this is an illegal image that should match this blinded hash right here. So it should be able, the server should be able to decrypt the payload using that thing, right? Because it was, um, in fact, encrypted with this. So it should also be able to be possible to be decrypted with this. 
you actually don't need. So this is only a conceptual thing, right? So this is what's happening. You take the neural hash, you compute the blinded hash for the neural hash, you can do that. And if you are able to decrypt the payload, um, that means that, uh, that the neural hash here actually resulted in this blinded hash here. Whereas if it was just kind of a random neural hash, the H prime will not give you the same blinded hash as is here, as you used to encrypt. And therefore you won't be able to decrypt the payload. Now I was a bit hesitant when I when I saw this, because, um, you know, this is a this is a database, right? And the security here, you know, it's a good idea, but the security appears to rely on the size of that database, right? Because, um, sure, if this is like a giant database, uh, you know, you have no chance of selecting the correct uh, blinded hash from from here, like, all of this works. But let's say this is only like 100 rows, right? And we know the client used one of the blinded hashes in the database to encrypt their payload. Like they, they had to, they do this procedure where they look up the blinded hash and it, they encrypt the payload with that. So there's a limited set of keys that the client could have used to um, encrypt the payload. So what keeps the server from simply trying all of them? I, I don't know that, honestly, like, I think we're, we're just relying on the fact that this database is so large that the server can't try them all. But that means it, it must be something like exponentially large, which I don't think is happening. Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe there is some additional thing. But I would guess, you know, if I'm Apple, and I really want to know what's in the payload, I just go through all of this database. And I just use all the because the key needs to be one of those things, right? Maybe I'm mistaken right here. But, you know, that's, um, I guess that's the, the thing. So this works, if you assume the server cannot just try all the blinded hashes, if you if you assume that, you know, the server, the only choice it has is to actually determine the blinded hash via H prime, um, and try to decrypt because only if in fact, this is the image that led to the creation of this blinded hash at this row in the first place, the this will actually match and the server will be able to decrypt otherwise not. Okay, so this is the first thing. This is the private set intersection, the client doesn't learn which objects matched, right? It just always uploads the neural hash and the payload for every image. And the server is only able to decrypt if there was in fact a match and it learns nothing about the images um, for where there wasn't a match. So this this fulfills our requirements. The next requirements is with respect to um, what's called threshold secret sharing. So this is private sec set intersection. The next thing that Apple wants is we on they only want to know about you if you know, if you've matched like five times or more. And that's, that's a technique called threshold secret sharing. And what we're going to do is we in fact are going to do two different levels of encryption. So remember, I said in this payload, 
there is the image. We put the image in there. This means if any of these matches, the Apple gets to look at the image. So we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to make it a little bit more complicated. We'll put like a little box into a box. You see this here, there's first encryption layer and second encryption layer. So the first encryption layer is going to be as we have it right now. But the second encryption layer is inside the first encryption layer. So even if there is a match and Apple can decrypt the payload and look at the payload, the payload itself won't help. And that is, um, it's a pretty simple technique. In fact, uh, there is a way in which you can um, create a key. So in, I'm going to draw a key right here. Uh, a key in in cryptography, and you can shard it or, 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 or make shares out of it. So what you can do is you can derive many, many shares as many as you want, with the property that um, you can only decrypt whatever message I encrypt if you have at least, let's say three of them. So if you have any three of those, then you'll be able to combine the three and in, and decrypt the message that I encrypted. If you have less than three, then you're not able to. Okay, so we're going to encrypt. So inside this payload, we're going to encrypt the actual image information one more time with this key. And then for every payload we send, we are only going to put one share of that key inside. So remember, whenever the neural hash of the image matches, which is up here, the server is able to decrypt this outer layer. So they will learn one share of the key. That means if you know, five of my images matched, the server was able to decrypt five of the shares. And then it has enough to decrypt all of the images. So you know, repeat this box here, repeat this box many times, like one, two, let's do three, right? Repeat this box many times, the cryptographic header up here, uh, there is a box inside that can be decrypted when any of the ones match. And then inside there is a share of the key and a little box that you can only decrypt with the key with the payload inside of it. So once if 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 only two things match, right, Apple doesn't have access to this inner box, let's say only to these two inner boxes, it cannot look at any of the images. But if three match, Apple has access to three of the inner boxes, which means it has three keys, and then it can go and decrypt not only the last one, but it can in fact decrypt all of the previous matches as well. So at that point, Apple will learn about all of the in thus far encrypted payloads. So we have both Apple can never decrypt anything if the neural hash doesn't match. And Apple can only decrypt things when the neural hash ma ha match neural hash matches whenever they enough matches have been made. There is a last thing in that. Um, yeah, so they display this in in various ways. There's a last uh, thing in this. There's a last set here, where they generate synthetic match vouchers because now, you know, let's say, uh, they can still see how many 
uh, vouchers match. Okay, so they do these synthetic vouchers in order to confuse themselves. So um, the devices will actually every now and then send dummy data. Uh, so they are called synthetic vouchers differ from real vouchers in the following ways. The underlying image information is substituted by dummy data. The secret share of inner key is substituted by a random share that is totally independent of the inner encryption key. And the cryptographic header and the outer encryption key are chosen to always result in a match on the server. So you upload security vouchers that always result in a match, but the key share on the inside won't do anything because it's just like a random, a random bit of, of numbers. So whenever you exceed the threshold, Apple will attempt to decrypt because it thinks it has enough shares. But if some of those things are synthetic shares, then it won't be able to. And this seems like this seems like a hurdle. This seems like it just makes introduces more noise. But this is exactly the goal, right? So Apple can never if it just knows the number of matches, it says, well, we don't have enough matches yet to decrypt this person's account, it can never exactly tell how many matches of those are real, because as long as they can't decrypt anything, um, they have no idea if these vouchers are real or fake, right? And even if they like if they, even if they have enough, um, like initially before they have enough real ones, let's say this is a fake one, they can't tell which one is fake, they can only say, well, one of them is fake. Um, yeah, we need more. Okay, so there's, as you can see, there's a lot of mechanisms where the engineers here made deliberate choices to limit their own abilities. I'm going to guess they did this out of, um, you know, if you were, uh, let's put that here. You know, if you're designing an algorithm like this, it's already hard enough to get the public to accept this. And they did, I think they did a pretty good job mitigating whatever they could in order to say, look, here's how we're going to design it. Uh, we're going to m maximally preserve user privacy uh, in while still be able to do what we're doing. And this would all be good, except, except this issue I mentioned here, you know, this would all be good, weren't it for the pesky, pesky deep learning. So where are the problems in the system as I see it? Where, where was this diagram here? So the problem in the system? No, here? No, here. The problem in the system are at the first of all, let's talk about this database. So you have a database that Apple presumably gets from this government institute. Well, sorry for scrolling around my devices. Um, yeah. So presumably, Apple gets this thing from here, right? Um, cool, you know, as long as that's the case, and as long as that database contains really images that are of, you know, child uh, abuse, we're all we're all okay. However, this database is probably going to be quite guarded access to it is going to be limited. As I said, it's not even clear that Apple gets access to it. I mean, they, they probably do themselves a favor if they don't need access to it, they just send the neural network to the organization or to the to the government agency and say, please compute the neural hashes and send the hashes to us, we want 
nothing to do with this data whatsoever, um, that, you know, Apple would be smart doing that. That also means, though, there are, there, there's very tight control on that database and not a lot of people are allowed to go and access the database. Good thing in principle, bad thing if you think it in a different way. Namely, what I can do is I can, if I am the government, one of the few government officials that's actually allowed to interact with this database, I can insert a new thing. Now, if I'm a good, good uh, bureaucrat, I'll insert new child abuse material because I want to find the people that share it. However, I can insert anything, right? And, you know, there is an algorithm. If I insert something, blinding step, yada, 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 no one actually knows what's in the database, right? And then at the other end, it will, some, something will go bing, 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 if that's actually on a phone of someone. So that this gives me, as a government, this gives me a general mechanism. Like I have to, I have to control Apple a little bit if Apple actually does the matching, but it's not even said. It, could be that Apple just forwards the decrypted information to the government. Um, but, you know, at the end, I have an algorithm. I insert anything into this database, any picture, uh, but this is going to be, this is this is just pictures, it's just the start, right? Um, the, this, they're going to uh, widen this to all kinds of things. So I insert anything into the database and, you know, uh, a second, a minute, an hour, a week later, I'm going to get big red lights uh, for any single phone, for any single iPhone that has that thing on their iCloud. This is, the, the, the potential for abuse of this is, is enormous, right? If I'm a political party, I want to find my opposition. Um, I just insert something into this database that I no is only likely on, on phones where my opposition is maybe I confiscated one of the phones and, and I just enter the stuff into the database. And then right after that, all the, all the people that are part of the opposition of the rebellion of whatnot light up and I know exactly who these people are, right? So the, yeah, the potential for abuse for whoever controls the database is huge because of the nature of the material, but also because it's a, you know, a government agency, um, we are not going to be able to check whether the things in the database are actually what they claim they are. So gen like really big uh, red flag for me there. Second of all, the image part, right? In order to compute the neural hash on the device, and we saw this up here, this is computed on device. Client device computes the neural hash of the image. Now, in order to do that, I need to have the neural network on my device. So I have an image here, I put it through the neural network, I get out a vector. Okay. Very standard neural network stuff. That's what that's what they do. They input stuff, they output vectors or, or whatnot. Um, we, there are things that are known as, as, as adversarial attacks. And adversarial attacks can be run on technically any machine learning system, but it's really easy if you actually have access to the model, which you would if this is on your device, right? Um, so what I can do with an adversarial attack is I can, remember when we said 
even if two images are really close, they're only maybe you, I, I, I crop them a little bit, the neural hash should be the same. This is true for, let's say, random distortions, distortions that happen naturally or anything you can think of. However, there are techniques called adversarial attacks where you can specifically engineer the distortions such that the distortion to the image is minimal. Like I only change a few pixels by a little bit. Humans won't even notice it, but the output here will change drastically, okay? Um, so if I have access to the network and also have, like if I have access to the LSH hyperplanes, um, that it's really, really, really easy to create an adversarial attack that will switch the output just into a different bucket. This is, this is insanely easy, right? Um, and people that uh, okay, these might not be the smartest people that share this kind of stuff and, 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 and upload them to iCloud, but one of them will come up with this idea and have a bit of a software engineering background. So if, if you have a phone with root access, you could even, you know, install software that just automatically, whatever picture you have, it automatically puts some adversarial perturbation on it such that the output is switched to a different bucket. As Apple says, if you if your image is legit, the probability that they'll 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 match you is really small, which means most of these buckets are safe. So whatever you have to do, you just switch the bucket to some other bucket, you're going to be just fine. So it's quite easy to evade this, right? This is not like all this engineering afterwards, all of the private set inner crypto that yidi yada yidi. This is all cool, but this relies on the fact that this neural hash is doing what it's advertised to do which it is for normal images, but in the face of adversarial attacks, it is not. Now, there is a second thing in that I can, if I can make two vectors be far apart when they should be close together, I can make two vectors be close together when they should be far apart, right? So if I have an image and it would give me, let's say this vector, but I know this vector is a bad vector, right? This vector is illegal material vector. What I can technically do is I can make an adversarial perturbation that shifts this to that. And so that it ends up in the same bucket while only changing the image a little bit. Now this is a bit more complicated because it requires me to actually obtain this bad vector, which I think the, the general, um, the way they hash everything and so on. The only way of doing that is I would actually have to up, I would have to obtain an image that I'm relatively sure is in one of these databases and then not get caught myself uh, in order to derive this vector right here, which, you know, don't like, <laughs> this is this is an illegal step in itself, right? But if, if you're able to do that, uh, then you're able to essentially frame people. So you can derive images that just look, right? This this looks like, I can take any image and do this. Uh, it looks like just a normal image, but it's perturbed in such a way that it matches with one of these illegal vectors that'll be sent to Apple and so on. And now it depends if you really trust that this, everything here is manually reviewed or not. Um, yeah. Again, the, the, the potential here for, for abuse is, is big. And if you now think of the, the fact that um, 
people who share this kind of material are probably going to employ some kind of these evasion techniques like I, I presented here, some kind of these adversarial attack based evasion techniques. Um, then, you know, it's, the system is quite easy to evade, um, yet the potential for abuse, as we saw down here with, you know, who gets to do put what in the database and the, I would say less, less important, but still present danger of, of, of people framing people, which also necessitates a failure of the manual review. Um, altogether, it, the picture of whether this is a, a, you know, a desirable system to implement becomes less clear. So if I understood this correctly, I would be quite worried here. And I would like, you know, if I would like to see a world, I'm, I don't, I don't want to say I would advise, I would not advise, but I would like to see a world where every single person in the world does, does technique one right here to any image they have on their phone, right? Um, it's like if only one person uses encryption on the internet, like that's suspicious. But if everyone does it, you know, we're all, you know, it allows bad people to do bad things. Yes, because that's encrypted, but the ultimate safety for everyone is, is better. And, and, you know, we'll have to look for other techniques to catch the, to catch the, the, the people sharing this, this material. Um, yeah, so that, that is kind of my, my, my take here. Uh, yeah, I won't be doing this though. I, I don't have iCloud, so yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Um, in, you know, on top of all of this, uh, in a general, more meta, meta layer, uh, we're about to see a step of where, th where the company essentially, you know, they don't scan every image on your phone, as I explained, but it goes into the direction of, Hey, um, you know, whatever you do with our stuff, we were going to essentially look at it, even if in this algorithm we can't, but it is an expansion of the power of these companies, which is also worrisome by itself. Make of that as you will. This is already too long. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this, leave a like, subscribe, uh, you know, if you have better ideas, I'm more than happy to uh, read the comments here. If I got anything wrong, please tell me. Otherwise, have a nice day. Bye-bye.